All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. to Dropping the Gloves with former NHL All-Star John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to uh, Dropping the Gloves with John, not just Tim. I know you're all disappointed to hear my silky smooth voice, but I'm back. I'm still on vacation, but I'm back. Tim's here too. Tim, I'm sorry. I had to come back. There was too many, po- too much positive feedback. I couldn't let you get uh, too big of a head over there. Yeah, yeah, it's probably a good thing. Did you feel the love? People were enjoying your little solo job there. Yeah, I got a handful of messages. It was nice. I mean, I, I asked for them, so I don't know if it's real or just or not. But yeah, it was nice. No, your mom and your brother are super sweet. Like super sweet people to to do that to reach out and to get all your you know your friends and everything. It was it was great. But no, all, all kidding aside, you, you did it. It was like a 36, 37 minute episode. That's not easy to do. That's tough. Very had, a good job. Thank you. I, it was easy though. Like I just, I don't know. I made a nice agenda and just kept rolling. It didn't, I never felt like I was running out of things to say. Well, that's what I did yeah. notice. So we, we do agendas for the show, much like probably most of the other shows do. And we, we kind of tick off topics and this and that. And Tim's agenda was flawless, like absolutely to the, to the point. It was just like three pages long of just like stuff to talk about. And then we do an agenda for the show, like on a regular basis. And Tim maybe throws on one blurb, like, oh, yeah, let's talk about this. And I just have to do the whole thing. So I know something's up here, Tim. Obviously, you can do it. It is sandbag. You sandbag, son of a gun. I made a a more advanced or in-depth agenda because I knew I'd actually have to say these things as opposed to just getting railroaded by you whenever I try to open my mouth when we're recording together. Or it's just like, I I can't predict what you're going to say. I just know we're going to talk about these topics, and I'll let you kind of make your points. But when I'm preparing for myself, I'm like, okay, what are my what are my takes on this? What's my angle? What's my approach to this this topic? So I have to be a little bit more in depth. And you did that. The agenda was epic, uh, like a three page J G K Chesterton novel. Like it was very well done. And then the agenda for today is just bullet points, no, which is good. You good. know, it's funny. It's good. I, I do these like public speeches. And I do them for schools. I do them for businesses, universities, whatever. I tried writing out a full speech and sitting there and reading it. I couldn't do it. I can't, I can't stand just reading in front of a group of people. I like the bullet points. Go back. What am I talking about next? And then I'm gone. Off the podium. I'm working the room, baby. I'm, I'm locking eyes with people. I'm making relationships. That's what, I, that's what I like to do. But anyways, 
We just Very did a, good at a promo for the next then we just did a promo for the next pound for pound. Steve McIntyre is coming up next. Big Mac. These shows are great, Tim. Hockey fights have done a great job editing. If you haven't checked them out yet, I'm telling you what, you're missing out because they are, they're killer. They're very well done. We had Beast and Up for the first one. We did uh, George LaRock for the second one. Steve McIntyre's for the third one. They were finishing up with Ryan Reeves for the four. Very short first season. Just kind of want to test the water, see if everybody likes it. It's getting pretty good reviews. I'm very excited about the feedback we're getting. You know, I, I watched the the rack one tonight, and the story he told about who was the guy that he was afraid of when he first broke into the league. Dave Smith, is that the name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, how afraid he was. He was like praying to be hurt or to get sick, or he almost thought about throwing himself in something in front of a bus so we have an excuse not to play and not to fight that guy. It was just so cool to hear stories like that from one of the well, scariest cool, guys yeah. ever to do it. Right. If if you look at his fights, they're not the most entertaining fights because he's so stinking strong. But he manhandles people. And for him to be scared going into a game, that caught me off guard because this guy, like he's he's the creme de la creme. If you're writing like a Mount Rushmore of hockey fighters, I don't think he's on it, but he's in the conversation just because he he's he's so people are just terrified of him. You know what I mean? Like he he and Steve McIntyre, getting back to him, he is in that category where it's like, whoa. And the thing that Stevie Mac did, Big Mac, that George didn't do. Big Mac put people in a body bag. Like he put people in the hospital because Big Mac would not let you go down. He would not let you fall. He would take 15 punches and then he would land two, three, four. And then you're night, night, you know, like he, he was just an absolute assassin. He waited for his shot and you watch most of his fights. He eats a lot of punches, but then when he gets his chance he is just like a chainsaw, whack, 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 whack. So like do you mean starting a lot more? Like he, he would it's hold amazing. people up longer in order to keep punching them. Is that what you're saying? As opposed to letting them go down? Well, no, Georgie, he was so strong. He would throw a punch and he would miss and the guy would fall or George would just overpower him and the guy would fall down. His fights never lasted a long time. If you watch Big Mac's fights, they all are this epic fights where they're going toe to toe. And if you go toe to toe with Steve McIntyre, you will lose. There's very few people who went toe-to-toe with him and came out on top. Bo- Boogie was one of them, and it's a handful of other, other guys who can say they hung in there with Steve McIntyre because he, he has such great balance. He doesn't overswing. He has such great endurance, and he just – like he said it in the show, his wires would get crossed, and he would just fight. He just would eat punches, and he would punch guys. He's, he was such an entertaining fighter because he never chickened out. He never pulled a chara and like flipped over somebody because he didn't want to fight. He just, he, he knew he was tougher than you and he knew he was going to get his spot and he waited and he waited and he let you get a little overconfident. And once you got a little overconfident, opens yourself up. It's like, whack, whack. Look at the even on fight, even on controls, the beginning of that fight. Steve lets him think, you know, it's an even fight. Even on kind of lets his guard down a little bit. Mac just goes jab, 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 night, night. That ends his career right there. Ended his career. So he, he yeah, check out the episode. Cause we, we talk about the even on fight. We talk about a couple other fights and he's just, he's a, he's a typical country boy, man. You know, works at a fire department now, got the cowboy hat on plays. I think he busted out the cello. I don't know if we're going to show that in the pound for pound, but boy, it's uh, it's quite the conversation. Anyways, moving on. Some sad news. Gosh, it seems like every month, every week, every two weeks, someone's someone's passing away, and it just gets more and more tragic. If, if that's possible, anytime someone you know you lose someone, it's it's terrible, terrible stuff. And now it's Jimmy Hayes, like thirty-one year old kid, 
Um, played in Chicago, Florida, Boston, finished up with the Devils. You know, big college career, won the national championships with BC. Went back, you know, he was doing a podcast with uh, Scotty Upshaw and um, the other guys, uh, forgetting his name, but, you know, he, oh, no, he was no. doing stuff. He's got two kids, wife. I don't know why, how he died. It was, it was a sudden, I don't think it was expected, but it's just like, I remember Jimmy, I, I saw him in Chicago. We skated together. What? I don't know. He was just a good kid. You know what I mean? Every, every time he walked into the room, he always had a smile on his face, love joking around, love having a good time. Never, never a dull moment when we're, when you were with him. It's just, it's, it's scary. You know what I mean? It's like, why are all these people dying? It, it's very scary. I don't understand it. I can't wrap my head around it. I was talking with my wife. I told him, I told her that Jimmy Hayes passed away. And she's like, I remember him. Like what happened? I'm like, I don't know what happened. Maybe some new information has been released, but I'm kind of off in this bubble here in Northport. I don't get much news, but it's very scary. It's sad. He leaves behind two kids, his wife, like very young kids, you know, and they just had a birthday party for his son a couple, like last week, I think. So I don't know. I'm praying for him, praying for his family, but man, it's, it's what is going on. I don't know. It's uh, it's just a strange thing. You're, you're from Boston. He's from Dorchester, Mass. Do you remember him growing up in BC and stuff? He was probably a big deal there winning those national championships when you were there. Oh, he was for sure. Like everyone knew those BC kids, like all the different generations, starting with Gerby and Boyle. Um, and then obviously the Hayes brothers, Bill Arnold, like all those guys. And um, he was just with uh, the day before he passed away. He was with Tommy Cross and Brian Dumoulin, both other, you know, BC alumni and NHL players. And it's just, it's just, I don't know why it hit me so hard when I saw that news, but it did. And maybe because he's a Boston guy, maybe because he played for the Bruins, but he's 31. He was 31. I'm 30. You know, it's just crazy. You can just, we don't know exactly what happened yet, but I mean, it, it can just be taken away so quickly. This is a guy who has, the bank account was looking good. He's got a beautiful wife. He had, you know, two young kids and, and, nothing nothing but glowing reviews about the energy that he had and the personality he was and the kind of friend he was and and it's just taken away just like that it's just it's just hard to wrap your head around like you said so uh, yeah we don't know any of the specifics um no specifics obviously we'll 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 find out more it's just gosh it's just one of those things where it's like gosh i hope he didn't take his own life you know what i mean Uh, who knows how he died it, it's I, I don't know i, I don't want to dive into it without any of the details but yeah we're thinking about his wife and his kids it's it's really it, you know yeah everybody's human man like it, it's gonna happen at some point but anyways hard to move on from that but you know we're thinking about you jimmy hope you're in a good spot um so okay Let, let's try to transition tim how was how was your solo show I, I i listened to a couple of segments i just wanted to touch on a few of them I thought you overall did a good job. Do you think you did okay? Yeah, I think I did okay. Yeah, I mean, there were certain things I was like, oh, I wish I didn't say that, or I wish I did this segment better. But overall, I'm I'm pleased with it. I think most most of the segments, you know, were pretty dead on. The Lunkfist thing, you hit that mark, Lunkfist. Obviously, I'm trying to – I got his number from Marty Biron, by the way. I'm going to reach out to him. We'll see if he'll do the show. Nice. I'm guessing a hard pass by by Hank. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to take a swing. I'm going to, I'm going to try. Um, I liked your take on Owen Powers. I, I don't think who were the people who were saying this is a bad this is a bad look on Sabers. Is oh, it like it was, actual hockey pundits? I don't know. It was all over social media, and I saw it in the news. So, 
like if you're a Buffalo Sabres fan, this is the best news that you should have heard in a long time. Just look at the recent success they've had with first round draft picks. I can't think of one recent first round draft pick that has panned out. Sam Reinhardt, maybe Jack Eichel, who maybe like all these, they're ruining Rasmus Dahlin as we speak. Gergensen was a complete washout. Zadorov was a complete washout in Buffalo. Obviously, Rasmussen had some, you know, peaks there where he he showed some glimpses of being good, but it obviously didn't work out. This is what you do when you're on a team that's rebuilding. You're not going to rush them. There's so many factors at play here. It's not just like, ooh, this is a bad look. They're not bringing the number one player. This guy's six foot six. He's a defenseman. He's obviously hasn't grown into his body yet. They're trying to mold him. They're trying to get him stronger, get his game going. He would be useless in Buffalo next year. People would just take runs at him. Look what they did with Rosmus Dahlin. He is finally starting to come into his own, not not because of anybody else. It's just because he's a good player. He's played for a couple coaches. He's had a couple GMs. He's had just a chaos around him with their best player trying to leave and this and that and getting absolutely lambasted in the media. All the other teams are getting – or all the other players are leaving Buffalo. So if you're Darlene, this is not the great situation to grow as a, as a star defender. If your powers – you want to go back to Michigan, feel that success again. And if you're Buffalo, you don't want to waste a year of his contract. You only have him for a few years under the East ELC, the entry-level contracts. So you want to maximize that while he's there, when he's playing well his first three years, and you can get some good players to add on to it and be effective. So I don't know. For those people who are saying this is a bad look on the Sabres, this is the smartest thing Buffalo's ever done. I would – two years in college. Go. Finish your, finish your junior year. Go. We don't need you. You're going to do nothing here. You're just going to waste two years of your contract. You're going to get used to losing. Our locker room is an absolute cancer right now. Eichel's coming back. He's going to fight with everybody. He doesn't like the ownership. He doesn't like the GM. He doesn't like the coach. He wanted Ralph Kruger to stay. It's an it's a mess. It's a complete mess. I don't want my number one overall pick anywhere near this situation for him to get infected at all by what's going on. Because you think Jack Eichel's going to come back and be in a great mood and like take these guys under their wings and be like, all right, you know what? Let's go. I made a mistake. I'm, I'm back. I'm going to rally the troops. No, he's going to come back and he's going to be in a bad mood and it's just going to be a bad relationship overall. So I like your take on Owen Powers. So one thing I didn't like, the trauma police, yeah, when you said – the comment with Austin Matthews, no, this is, we're going to be good. I would love to go back after every one of their first round losses and see what he said. Maybe the only year where he was like, you know what? First year we lost, we, we got what we deserved. You know, we were new to this, blah, blah, blah. The next four years they lose in the first round. I guarantee you every one of his comments where he will grow from this. We're going to learn from this. This isn't going to happen again. Not us. This is a good learning moment for us. I will bet you good breakfast that every every comment he made after that offseason was like we're going to learn from this we're going to this is good adversity for us adversity means challenges that you overcome they have never overcome anything if anything they're getting worse the adversity they faced this year was the montreal canadians who in a regular season normal brackets normal divisions would not have made the playoffs this is a team had no business being in the playoffs, and they lost to them. This was Toronto's year to make the, the final four. This was it. They had the, the red carpet was laid out. The North Division wasn't that great. They had everything in their favor. There was injuries they could take advantage of. Yes, they lost to Varas. I understand that. They should have still walked through Montreal. This, this quote, oh, we're, you know, we're going to learn from this. We're going to learn from this. What are you going to learn? That you choke? That you choked again? What can you learn from losing five years in a row? You, you, you learn that you cannot overcome adversity. 
You learn that you're a choke artist. You learn that no matter what players they put with you, they gave you Tavares. They gave you all these guys, Felino. They gave you Spezza. You got Thornton. You got Bogosian. You got everything you asked for, Wayne Simmons. You got all of these players, and you still could. You got John Tavares. Everything you wanted, you got, and you still could not get over it, get past the first round. First round. Like, it, it, it's not like you're, you're scratching – you know, the conference final, you know, it's not like you're scratching the Stanley cup final. It's the first round. You still have a, a bunch of rounds after that. So that, that quote is just, it's, it's a, he has to give that answer. If, if he wants to say what he really has to say, he would be lambasted in the media. Cause he should say, you know what? I don't have it. Mitch doesn't have it. Nylander doesn't have it. We don't have it. Morgan Riley. He doesn't. Have it. None of us have it. And I don't know why we're trying, but we don't have it. So what do you want me to do? We need someone in here who has it. And maybe some of what they have rubs off on us because we don't have it. And I don't like adversity. I am sheltered. I was sheltered growing up. I have always been spoon fed everything. And same with Mitch, same with Willie. We, we get spoon fed every morning. No one tells us we're bad and we need someone in here who can help us because it's not our fault. It's, it's not our fault. We're good. We're good. That, that's, that's, what, that's what it is, Tim. And I know you shake your head. You're like, oh, it's what it is. It's exactly what it is. As much as you hate hearing it, because it, it hurts you a little bit to hear that, because it's you a little bit, and that's your age bracket. You guys don't like to hear bad news, but it's, it's exactly what's wrong in Toronto. They will not take accountability, any of those guys. Mitch should have came out and been like, I, I lost us that playoff series. That was my bad. He should have said that, but he didn't. He said, you know what, next year. Next year, Austin Matthews should have pulled him aside and said, we need you to pick it up, kid. But no, they're, they're good friends. They're going to go back and play Fortnite, and it'll be great because they don't, they don't care. They don't, they don't have it in them. They don't have it in them. That's, that's my opinion. I'm entitled to it. You can uh, believe it or not, but I, I usually am right on these, these topics. So in all in all, your podcast, everything was great except for that. That was a stinker. Well, thing. I didn't like that I- yeah, but I, I knew that it wasn't going to be like a popular take in terms of people agreeing with me. But my whole point is, like those like there's other examples I gave. I know none of those are one and outs for so many years, but they had their own versions of like pretty heavy adversity too. And we said mm-hmm. the same thing then about Ovechkin and Stamkos and other guys like that that we're saying about Matthews and Marner now. So I'm, so my my whole thesis is to put it in to wrap it up is just to say if you can make an argument that this core won't win a cup. I need something more than they don't have what it takes. This is not the group to do it because we said, we said that about other groups before and they proved this wrong. That's my, that's yeah. I'll leave it there. I will say to rebut that those other groups did get past the first round many, many times. They had runs to the second round, third round, they failed second round, failed first round, failed. Like they, they had pushes where, where they had some playoff experience where they did face adversity and they did overcome it. These guys haven't overcame anything. If anything, they've solidified the fact that they are choke artists until they get past the first and second round. That's when they'll face adversity. They haven't faced anything yet. They have not faced adversity whatsoever. They faced the first round. The first round is not adversity. I don't like that quote. I don't like that. He's considering this adversity. This is not, it's not, it's not Austin. I'm sorry. Wait till you get to the second, third and Stanley cup final. Then you will face adversity. When you, when the guy beside you's got a fractured ankle and he's still taping it up, the guy over there has got a busted jaw and he's still skating on the ice. You got a torn rotator cuff and you're still going out there and playing. That's adversity. 
losing in the first round because you choked is not adversity. I don't know. That's it's not. I don't understand that take. Oh, Tim, I'm hungry. Are you hungry? Starving. Should we go to the restaurant? There's a ton of traffic. Yeah, no, thank you. Oh, what should we do? You know what? I can't even drive, John. We'll we find another option. Oh, you know what I've heard of? It's DoorDash. Let's get some food. You know what? Let's pull up our phone. We'll get the app. We'll get some DoorDash. And you know what? This goes for all our listeners, too. If you guys want to get some food right now with Tim and I, pull out your DoorDash app, scroll around, look up a restaurant in your area. There's millions of them. Don't worry. It's not even going to be an issue. And it's going to be great. You can thank me later. Go to DoorDash. You're welcome. Let's, let's get past the Leafs. Let's get past the Sabres. We talk about those teams a lot. Let's talk about another, a former team I've been on. There was some news with the Arizona Coyotes. Do you want to break down what the city of Glendale said? Kind of uh, just a, a bullet note, Cliff's note of what they said, and then we'll uh, just chat about it a little bit because it, it, it's kind of big news for the city of Arizona and the NHL as a whole uh, of this whole 32-team dream that Gary Bettman's got. Uh, it's actually really interesting. And, and the Coyotes had a year-to-year contract with um, the city and with the arena. And the, the city's official Twitter account wrote, quote, with an increased focus on larger, more impactful e- events and uses of the city-owned arena, the city of Glendale has chosen to not renew the operating agreement for the Arizona Coyotes beyond the upcoming 2021-22 season. Wow. Whammy in your face. Yeah. And you know what? It's a bad spot. And I, I don't know how many people listening have been to that area, Glendale. It's not Phoenix. It's outside of Phoenix. You have to go through crazy amounts of traffic at the end of the day if you want to go to a game and watch the Coyotes play. So it was a bad placement for the team. It's out by um, the Cardinals Stadium right beside it. It's a beautiful arena. They got a nice little you know entertainment district right around it. But it wasn't a hockey. It wasn't a good hockey place. It's just like how the Ottawa Senators, uh, Scotiabank Center, I believe it is, or a Bell Center. I can't remember what the Ottawa Center is called. But they're in a bad city too. It's a bad setup. I have a friend who lives in Arizona. He's like, if I want to go to a game, I get off work at five. I have to sit through an hour of traffic to get to the game. I don't want to do that after a game and sit there and just waste my time. So it, it was never going to work. The Coyotes have always wanted to get out of this lease. They've always wanted to move away from Glendale. Glendale's locked them in there for a better part of two decades. So we'll see how this pans out. I think it's a win-win. If they can get downtown in Phoenix, maybe share with the Suns for a little bit before they build their own arena. I was thinking maybe play at the ASU campus. They have that brand new arena, the Devils, the Sun Devils do. So I don't know. I, I, I don't think Glendale is losing anything. The games are never full. No one's ever there. The only fans that are there are the handful of hardcore Arizona fans, and 70% of the fans who go are for the visiting team. And if it's a Saturday night, they seat like 25, 30,000. There's maybe 10,000 there. So why wouldn't you want to do it? If you're Glendale, you can have the Coyotes play on Saturday night, or you can roll uh, Darius Rucker in there and pack the place. Get Kenny Chesney in there, pack the place. You know what I mean? Luke Combs. To sell it out for five weeks straight. So it's just one of those things where, yeah, they're going to make a ton more money. This could work out well for the Coyotes, and it could be win-win if they stay in Phoenix. Now we're, we're starting to get some rumors. Well, maybe they go to Hamilton. Maybe they go to Quebec City. Maybe they go to San Antonio. Maybe they go to Houston. Maybe they go to another location. If you're the Arizona Coyotes, where do you want them to go, Tim, if they don't stay in Arizona? What would be the most logical place for them if they needed to leave Arizona, in your opinion? 
I mean, I, I haven't done any research on this. I mean, another Canadian team would be good. It seems like there's still like Quebec City, like you mentioned, is could definitely handle that. Um, what about something like in the, I don't know if this comes to the Midwest or Great Plains, but like Kansas City. Do you think they can support a team? They're, they have like the best uh, baseball, football fans out there. Maybe a hockey team too. Yeah, the last expansion before they gave the uh, the team to Seattle – there was a bid from Hamilton, there was a bid from Quebec City, and there was a bid from Houston. So those are the three main ones that, that they, they have ownership, they have facilities, they have excitement, there's fans there. Obviously, Houston had the arrows for a long time. I think they go to Houston. You know, I, I don't know. I know Montreal is really forcing the hand of Gary Bettman. They don't want a team in Quebec City that kind of butts into their geographical stronghold in Quebec. And the same thing goes for Hamilton. I know Toronto, they would still be great. Would a team in Hamilton pull away from Ottawa? Would it, would it maybe lessen the impact of those two teams? I, I know they have some influence on Bettman, those two teams saying, you know what, we, we don't want a team in Hamilton. Maybe put another team in Toronto. I don't think the Leafs would ever let that happen. But if they will move, I would love to see him go to Houston. I really would. I, I don't see them moving. I think they'll figure out uh, a deal with, you know, ASU or putting a rink where the Phoenix Suns play and then maybe building a rink with some city funding. I don't know how it works, but they, they're always changing ownership in Arizona. They're always kind of in flux. It, 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 they need something that's a solidifying factor, just like Buffalo had Terry Pagula came in and say, boom, we're staying here. I'm building around this team. Even though we're garbage, I'm going to build this team and it's going to go from there. That being said, the roster on the Arizona Coyotes is not that exciting. So if, if I'm a potential suitor, I'm looking at this team. It's not like we're getting the 80s Oilers coming at you. We're getting a just, is there anybody on this team, Tim, who excites you at all? Maybe. Yes. Maybe uh, Pavel Datsuk, Chris Pronger, Marion Hosa. Do they excite you? Because they're still on the roster. They are on the payroll for the Arizona Coyotes to date. Just so you know, who who on this team excites you that that you think is a good hockey player? Uh, the best player that excites me the most, I think, I'm going to butcher the name, Jake, Jacob Chikrin, Ch- Chitrin, the Chitrin. Uh, defenseman, Chitrin. He is so good. And I, so I was looking at him earlier. He had 41 points last year. He's on my fantasy team. Uh, and so I knew how good he was. In 56 games, no doubt. So that's basically in a full season, that's like basically 55, 60 points as a defenseman. He's only 23 years old, but he's already played five seasons. He broke into the league at 18. He's obviously now he's, you know, breaking out here. Um, and I think you can put his name just about, you know, he's not in that top, top tier, but he's right up there with some of the best young defensemen in the NHL. He's probably the tier below the McCars, Hughes, McAvoy's of the world, but he's right there. So uh, I think he's probably the best player on this team right now. And I think he's plenty to be excited about there. How do you not mention Phil Kessel? Not being the best player on this team. After the season he had last year, uh, twenty goals. Uh, there's nothing exciting about Phil Kessel. Twenty goals for Phil Kessel. That's a pretty big deal on an Arizona team that had nobody. They had Clayton Keller. They had Connor Garland. Other than that, not very exciting team. They, yeah, Chitrin's a good defense when they have OEL, but he wasn't that great. You know, Schmaltz is okay. This is not a very high end offensive team. I, I don't see. Phil lasting the year. He's obviously on uh, an expiring contract, much like everybody on this team. It'll be exciting to see what they do at the trade deadline. But that's the thing. No one's going to want a Dimitri Yaskin or a Andre Rusmai. Maybe they will. A Larson, a Dezingle. All these guys are just their first line is a third line on most competitive teams. 
And that's that's the state of Arizona right now. They don't have anything good in the in the cupboard. They're they're not very exciting. They they pick well, they did have some good pickups this offseason. They picked up Andrew Ladd. He had uh, no games played last year and four games played the year before. Well, but hold on. No, no, no. You know what? I always do this. I make a big mistake. They did have a huge pickup in Louis Erickson. That that's a big one. Oh, he played seven games last year. Good for him. So, no, no, wait, but then they traded away their captain. Okay, no, they're going to be really good next year. Oh, they traded away their starting goal. Their their starting goal team is gone. They're going to be great. They're going to be great. But anyways, I hope they find a good spot that's good for this team. I hope the fans get what they need. They need a good team on the ice. They need a good ownership. They need something to solidify this team. I honestly hope they stay in Arizona and figure it out because it's a good town. They can do good things there, but they just got to figure it out. This is Gary Bettman's baby. He put them there. So he wants them to succeed there. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. I, I couple what of things they, they added to um, Shane Gostaspear, maybe that, that new location away from the big city in the spotlight can give him a little bit of a, uh, a pump there. Um, Cause he obviously, he's a super talented guy in the right situation. He's scored a ton of points in, in a season before. So you see what, watch what he does this year. Ryan Dezingle is an underrated player. The, the problem is, like you said, like he's on a good team. He's like a third line, maybe second line supporting, you know, scorer. And he's going to play like first line minutes on this team, which is not ideal. Um, Roussel, what one of the most, I don't want to say hated, but certainly controversial players in the league. Um, they picked him up in that OEL trade. They traded the way Connor Garland. You haven't even mentioned him yet. Um, I don't even know if Erickson or Ladd will play at all. I doubt it. The guy I'm kind of paying attention to besides Chitron is Clayton Keller, who I think, um, I don't know. I, I liked him. I've liked him since he came into the league. I wonder if he can take that next step and be a point-per-game guy. Um, I thought he would do it last year or the year before. It hasn't happened yet. I don't really see much to think that it's going to happen this year in terms of supporting Kayas, in terms of a team trending in the right direction. I don't know that there's much – pushing this kid to take that step. But um, I hope he does both for his sake and for the sake of his team, because I, I do want them to to do well. Um, and, and the other thing too, they only have one goalie under contract right now. Um, <laughs> They'll figure it out. Yeah. yeah. Keller, he's, he makes seven, seven million bucks, 7.15. So he better figure it out. That's a big contract for him. Yeah, it is. He, he's, that's a lot of money for a kid who hasn't even come close to a point per game. I think he probably had some 40, 50 points last year. He does show flashes, but he needs, he needs a good centerman to play as play with. I don't think Nick Schmolch is that guy. I think Nick would be good for a second, third line centerman role. I don't know. They have a lot of holes. They have a lot of holes in Arizona. They do have, like you said, Chitron. He's a good guy to build around. Christian Dvorak is a pretty good player himself, but there's a lot, there's a lot lacking with the Arizona Coyotes. Hopefully they figure it out. I don't know. I don't want to talk too much about it because they're not there. You know, well, they you know didn't have is? their first round draft pick this year because they got the GM got in trouble for tampering with uh, players during the whatever the combine. So they didn't have a first round draft pick. It's it's not a good look. It's not a good look. I was thinking about Keller and, and why it is I like him and in my head. Like, I, it's not like I watch these games, but I've always I have seen clips of him. I've had him, you know, whatever. Um, he had 65 points, 23 goals his rookie year. And then he hasn't really done much since. He's almost been like just above uh, a 40 to 50 point pace in an 82 game series, in an 82 game season in the last few years, which is not elite. I almost wonder if some, it reminds me of uh, Domi a little bit, that, that rookie year that he had. And that's what people remember. And then I, I, he's probably put up better numbers than Domi has since, but a little bit of that, that Domi Galchenyuk uh, thing where people remember what you do with your rookie year and it sticks with you. And all of a sudden, this guy's making seven schmill and he hasn't really done, he hasn't produced that level yet. 
Yeah. And if you're a GM, you drafted this kid, this is your player. You want to keep him around, want him to do well. So you sign him to a big deal. You don't want to see him go and succeed elsewhere. So you're like, well, I'll pay him because I drafted him. I'm on the hook for this kid. So let's give him this money and see what happens because this is my draft pick. GMs love their draft picks. They're going to give their draft pick one, two, three, four, five chances more than any other kid they pick up as a UFA. So it's just nature of the beast. Someone has ownership over Clayton Keller and they're going to give him every chance to succeed. And he he's, he's a good player. He's a really good player. I don't see him being a first line guy unless he takes that next step, gets a little stronger, but he's got a pretty heck of a shot. So I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I, I want to apologize for my audio. I'm on vacation, not good Wi-Fi where I'm at, but we're working with it. We will, uh, we'll get it figured out for Friday. Hopefully I hope everybody had a good week so far. I hope you enjoyed Tim laying it down solo, but we'll be back with everybody Friday with another episode. Have a good uh, rest of the week. Have a good hump day, everybody. Hump day. And uh, we'll talk to you Friday. Cheers, everybody. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash.